0: Terms and conditions apply. A
2: warmer from the Welcome to the lovely Las Vegas for those of you who would myself, Dragon views and now a part of the Peace and Family Podcast, and we do have a tremendous podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by the Bracketeer himself, Rocco Miller. He does a great job over there at Bracketeer.org. He actually has a big involvement with regards to a lot of the non-conference scheduling. And sounds like he's actually going to be helping with a multi-team event that is going to be announced within the next week or so. So that is going to be exciting as well. We're going to be chatting with him in the second segment about just how the transfer portal has been shaking out recently. And why such a big part of the transfer portal right now is hinging upon these guys with NBA drafts have decisions what teams and what players are going to be impacted the most. We're also going to be chatting with him just about his thoughts on Pat Baldwin Jr., whether or not he actually does wind up going back to school or not, so we're going to be having that discussion, as well as a few West Coast teams that will be able to do a solid job in the transfer portal, and I know I've been critical of the Big Ten and the fact that they have not done a ton with regards to the transfer portal, so you know what? It works both ways. I'm going to ask him why we've seen a little bit of inactivity with regards to the Pac-12 with regards to the transfer portal. Meanwhile, a lot of the other West Coast mid-majors have really been able to do a solid job as well. So we're going to have a nice chat there with Rocco in the second segment and also something that we're going to address. I'm not going to address this in the final segment, but I'm going to do five, six good minutes with Rocco on this. The fact that Randy Ray, the coach at Weber State, he decided to step down. They wound up saying in-house with regards to the hiring with regards to Weber State. So that was a little bit sudden and I do think that that is worth a little bit of discussion. The Big Sky is a relatively interesting conference as you wound up having Ray stepped down a assistant that had been with the team for darn near 15 plus seasons and Eric Duft is now going to be the coach. So we're going to do a quality few minutes there and in the final segment pretty much everything other than the Weaver State news going to be summing up all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Monday. Going to go into more of the transfer portal news in that final segment. So we've got a little bit of everything covered there and if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep a Letter CM. They mean does not matter, says so per usual. Please just send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire or whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really didn't get in any Twitter questions today, but like I said, we're gonna be talking about Randy Ray stepping down at Weber State, things saying in outs there, how teams are utilizing the transfer port on Lack well, of transfers that we're seeing coming into the Pac-12 right now with Rocco Miller. That's up next right here on Coast to with myself, Greg Gibson, e. and now a part of the Decent Family of Podcasts.
1: Probiotics aren't a trend anymore; they're a mainstay in the health and wellness aisle of your favorite store. And Nature's Way Women's Probiotic Pearls are the easiest way to introduce a probiotic into your routine. I mean, they're just what they sound like—adorable little pearls that couldn't be easier to take. But they still pack that probiotic punch. Each tiny pearl has one billion active cultures and protect against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort. And they actually support both digestive and vaginal health. So that's a win-win. And according to my little fact sheet here, they're designed with a triple-layer coating that protects each pearl from stomach acid. So they can make it all the way to your small intestine where they're needed most. You probably didn't think we'd be talking about the small intestine today, did you? Well, digestive health is kind of important. If you know, you know. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com.
3: What's up? I'm John Wall.
4: And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA six Man of the Year, Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Probiotics aren't a trend anymore. They're a mainstay in the health and wellness aisle of your favorite store. And Nature's Way Women's Probiotic Pearls are the easiest way to introduce a probiotic into your routine. I mean, they're just what they sound like. Adorable little pearls that couldn't be easier to take. But they still pack that probiotic punch. Each tiny pearl has 1 billion active cultures and protect against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort. And they actually support both digestive and vaginal health, so that's a win-win. And according to my little fact sheet here, they're designed with a triple-layer coating that protects each pearl from stomach acid, so they can make it all the way to your small intestine where they're needed most. You probably didn't think we'd be talking about the small intestine today, did you? Well, digestive health is kind of important. If you know, you know. To learn more about Nature's Way Women's Probiotic Pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com.
3: What's up? I'm John Wall.
4: And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA six Man of the Year, elite bucket getter, let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all?
3: I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think I could have took it all. I said, I said OG, oh, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because you didn't
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: In Las Vegas, Ghosts, Ghosts, with myself, Greg Pierce, and so now a part of the Decent Family of podcasts, and it is great to be joined by our guests, as this man is a bracketeer. Rocco Miller does absolutely terrific work Over there at his website, Bracketeer.org does a nice job of being able to take a look at all the scheduling that we wind up having in college basketball, including being able to help facilitate a little bit of that. And then on top of that, when it comes to college basketball season, does absolutely amazing work being able to take a look with regards to a bracketology lens and just does a great job of being able to shine a light on all these schools. Because as we know, when it comes to sports betting, it does not matter if you're making money on Duke or if you're making money on Kennesaw State, they all cash the same just like being able to get a correct pick with regards to your bracketology. It counts the same whether it's a 1 seed or a 16 seed as well. So always great to be able to get Rocco aboard and to be able to follow him on Twitter. That's at Rocco Miller 8 so his first and last name, and then the number 8 all together. And Rocco, great to have you aboard. Thank you.
5: Hey, it's great to be back on, Greg. How are you?
2: I'm doing tremendous. Thank you so much. And it is absolutely tremendous to see what we've been getting in college basketball here in the offseason. And a little bit of unexpected news on Monday with Randy Ray Deciding that he is going to be stepping down was able to do a very solid job for many many years over at Weber State and they wanted promoting from within with this one I have to think that there was probably a little bit of rumblings there was probably a little bit of known information with regards to these players because it was very immediate in which they wanted announcing this move that they were going to be moving on and just keeping it in-house with Eric Duff being able to be elevated to the head coaching job but I think that it's very strange that we might have seeing this move in the middle of May.
5: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Greg. I have a couple of quick thoughts on this. Randy Ray, he's been at Weaver State since the 06-07 season. In general, he's been in coaching for quite a long time. A tremendous amount of success. And the dean, of course, of Big Sky Coaches uh, until today. You know, you look at Randy Ray... When the transfer portal really kind of heated up in college basketball about five, six years ago, I remember reading a story about Randy, his frustration with losing some of his players up to bigger schools, the kind of the classic tale of a school in the big sky. And I think he learned how to adapt here in the last handful of years. But I think in general, without knowing much more about it until we read more interviews from him directly, my gut instinct says that he might have hit the kind of wall that like a Jay Wright and a Roy Williams and a Coach K hit. With just all the changes with NIL, the different things you have to manage, you know, I, I visited a couple of mid-major programs here in the last couple of weeks when I was in the Carolinas. I got to sit down with the entire staff at Winthrop and the entire staff at Davidson. I learned quite a bit just about how their world has changed in this NIL era. They weren't able to get out to AAU tournaments like usual. They're spending all of their weekends during the spring hosting potential transfers on campus for visits instead of their traditional model of scouting. So they're basically doing so much work in the portal and it's not comfortable for everybody. And so perhaps that's part of the equation for Ray. But I do also want to add that, you know, you can't find a better associate head coach to take over than Eric Duff. Eric Duff's been there for basically the entire time, 16 years at Weaver State. He helped bring in Damian Lillard, of course, and he's also coached David Patton, Kellen McCoy, Davian Berry, and Joel Balomboy. You know, all five of those guys are Big Sky MVPs. So if anybody's got the credentials to get the head job, it's Coach Duff. So I think that's a natural, smooth transition. You know, Weaver State's just got such a loyal following as all the schools in Utah do. I think they'll be okay. They're one of the few schools that can probably absorb something like this at the mid-major
2: level. And I think that's so interesting from just a little bit of a roster management standpoint, as we do have Rocco Miller joining me on the podcast, because I thought it was very strange that you wound up seeing Siko Shisho Jawara wind up entering into the transfer portal. After that May deadline, he wound up entering, I believe, on May 4th. The deadline for players was the first, the administration was the third. Now, sometimes paperwork and why it's taken a little bit longer so I'm sure that the NCAA might have a a little bit of an exception there and as we found out last year there isn't necessarily hard deadlines with regards to the NCAA it sometimes is (laughs) a little bit disjointed and I think I'm putting it about as politely as I can with that regard but I do think that it's going to be interesting to see What winds up happening moving forward? Because like I was saying a little bit earlier, I have to think that some of these players knew at the very least a little bit of something was up, if not the entirety of the situation itself. But I just want to see the next few days what does wind up happening because I know that Weber State has been trying to get a couple guys into via the transfer portal. And they've actually been able to hook in there a few guys like Steven Verplanken Jr. So I do think that from a roster management standpoint as well, this is very big.
5: Yeah. And they also picked up earlier in the process, Keith Dinwiddie Jr., which he has all the makings of a great player in the Big Sky. Coming over from San Diego State, he was pretty highly recruited, had a lot of offers the year before out of high school. So you would think that Dinwiddie could come in and make a big impact early on as a sophomore. Weaver State in general just has a higher level of talent than uh, most of the Big Sky schools. So again, under Coach Duff, if you have a guy leave or two, it's an attractive place for several other players that are still looming in the portal today to land. So, you know, I think one way or another, he'll find a way to make it work. And they'll be just as competitive, I think, as they were under Coach Ray. I just think despite the horrible timing and the fact that the deadline passed, they'll find a way to make it work. And it's as smooth of a transition as you could hope for if you're a Wildcat fan. I also think when you get to the start of the regular season, they'll still have enough time to get the players together. And they always challenge themselves in the non-conference. That'll make them tough by big sky play.
2: Yep, I agree with you. I do think that Weber State is still going to be solid out there in a big sky that we're going to call it what it is. We've got a lot of teams that are improving, but certainly not like a Monsters of the Midway Conference or anything like that. You've got a lot of programs that they're looking to be able to build themselves up, become a little bit more of a constant power because we haven't been able to find that one big sky school that year in and you're out has really been able to compete with regards to being that team that is consistently on top, as Montana State actually wound up winning the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament last season. But with that said, we've also been seeing some fascinating moves that have been going down out west. And hey, in my city, I would argue that one of the most active teams in the transfer portal and one of the teams that have been going under the radar is UNLV, being able to bring in guys from the likes of the Big 12 and the Pac-12, like Elijah Parquet from Colorado, Elijah Harkless, ironically enough, a pair of Elijahs from Oklahoma has been very good for this team. And I take a look at what's been happening with regards to some of these West Coast, with regards to these Western mid-majors. I talk about UNLV and then you're able to go to Andre Kelly, the fact that he's joining the Big West. And I've been actually very impressed by a lot of what these smaller schools out West has been doing, even more so than I would say these Pac-12 schools who have really been not making a lot of moves this offseason.
5: Yeah, I mean, if you're looking just at portal activity, there hasn't been as much to talk about at the larger Pac-12 schools. Some of that has to do with admissions. You know, places like Stanford, UCLA, USC and Washington, for example, it is tougher to get a kid in midway through his undergrad career. A lot easier for them to take a grad transfer. Even anybody in the UC system as a whole, UC Santa Barbara was able to add in Andre Kelly, but he's already got his degree. And I think that's the only transfer they're bringing in so far. But he's just a perfect replacement for Amadou Sow who had a tremendous career as a gaucho you know so I think that's why you're seeing some of those challenges that I I wholeheartedly agree with you on UNLV they were talented last year and I think even last summer you and I discussed their portal moves under coach Kruger in his first offseason right after getting the job he got to work immediately and now he's got a lot to build on after a really inspiring finish to the year you know just fell short to Wyoming during a game I was at there at the Thomas and Mack Center in the MWC tournament that ended the season. You look at Harkey, a glue guy for Colorado for all those years. He was at Pac-12 media day last year. Got to meet him. He's just a great team guy. It's kind of exactly what UNLV will need. You know, in the tougher moments, they'll be in a lot of tight games, very competitive games. I imagine next year. The guy I loved was Donovan Williams, who should really, really skyrocket next year if he he stays on his trajectory. The improvement he made from the start of last year until the end of last year was so impressive. And his athleticism, when you watch him, I was able to sit courtside and see him in that Wyoming game. One of the best athletes I saw all season long in person. So I'm excited about his development. But this team has got tons of layers. You look at Elijah Harkless's defense. He's probably the best defender on Oklahoma. Now he's going to play in the Mountain West. That's going to give them a whole different element that they didn't have last year. And you lay it in with some other potential guys. You know, Luis Rodriguez comes in from Ole Miss, definitely a, a SEC caliber player that proved that he'll have an upper hand here. Isaiah is a guy that decided between UNLV or Washington and went to UNLV despite being from Tacoma, Washington. They're landing guys left and right. UNLV has a lot to offer right now. You know, a ton of potential going into next year.
2: Yeah, I've been very impressed by what they've been able to do, and even in that same conference, Wyoming bringing in three guys from yeah. the Pac-12—that is very, very solid. Even if you didn't wind up seeing like a whole bunch of minutes out of someone like a Jake Heyman or anything like that. Just being able to bring in that talent massive for them as it's always Crazy. massive to be able to bring in the talent of Rocco Miller on this podcast. And he is joining me right now. And Rocco, I do think that when it comes to the transfer portal, we are seeing a little bit of a slowdown these last few days. You did wind up seeing a couple of nice moves like Josh Mbala going over there to Ole Miss. That is no doubt going to be very big for them. Even Josiah Alec going to New Mexico, I think that that's going to be a little bit of an impact move, but I feel like the big domino to drop right now is these NBA draft decisions because we did wind up seeing the combine invitations wind up being given out just a few days ago. And I take a look at a few teams that they've got a lot to gain slash lose with regards to these. Michigan certainly comes to the forefront just because they've got two guys. You've got a, quite a few schools that they've got one guy like a David Roddy, a Colorado State is big, but both Musa Diabate And Caleb Houston, I would argue, are right there on the border. If you wind Mm -hmm. up losing both, that puts Michigan in a little bit of a world of hurt. If you wind up having both of those guys come back, they're going to be right there towards the top of the Big Ten once again this season. I take a look at a few other schools, like even in Arizona with Dalen Terry. I think that that's a big decision as well. Where are some of the ones that you're watching out for? Because it does feel like this year we've got a couple more borderline guys than what we've seen in the past few seasons. I had all those written down
5: and I've got a few others as well like you know I think my gut tells me most of these guys are going to come back if you look at David Roddy at Colorado State that's a huge one because of what he brings to Colorado State obviously if he goes to the pro level who knows where he starts his career and how he shapes up as a prospect but think for the college basketball focused people like us and Colorado State will have an impossible time filling all those shoes <laughs> for everything he does you also have a couple of Gonzaga players and Drew Timmy and Julian Strother that I wholeheartedly think will end up coming back. Word on the street is that Drew Timmy is making a killing on NIL. And I think Strother had a great breakout year. It looks like some of the feedback so far, you know, doesn't have him anywhere near the first round. He could squeeze into the second round. And I think he could really bolt up with another year at that level, playing for Gonzaga. You look at Baylor Shireman. Obviously, well-documented that he's been working out with guys like Nigel Pack and some of those others and that, that helped him get connected with the agent that eventually funneled him to Creighton. You know, So all that stuff's been pretty fascinating, and I know you've been talking about that. But he's also a guy that's trying to decide if he should stay or go. I don't think he would have gone through the trouble of, of transferring. I, I do think he'll probably end up playing for Creighton. Maybe a guy that I do think is going to go is uh, Jake LaRavia from Wake Forest. And ever since the workouts and scouts have gotten a hold of him, skyrocketing up the board. I think Sam Basini from The Athletic has him all the way up to number 21 in the first round. You get that kind of feedback. I don't think you're coming back to college. I think one guy we got to talk about, I could see going either way. I, th- I thought for sure he would be back a little earlier in the process. Now he's starting to slip down the board. I'm seeing him in the 40s a lot. And it's a guy who loves college basketball and loves his hometown. And that's Jalen Williams from Arkansas. You know, I could definitely see him wanting to come back to college basketball and doing pretty well with NIL based on their nice elite eight run last year and everything they have come in in this
2: year. Yeah, I'm right there with you on Jake LaRavia. I mean, he really it on with regards to Wake Forest. And I still think that Wake Forest, even if he does wind up going, going to be rock solid because I've got a lot of faith and Steve Forbes as a coach. And that just wound up being the perfect system for him. But I think that that's going to be fascinating to take a look at. And then I also think that Pat Baldwin Jr. is Mm someone of fascination as well, because this is someone that's in the transfer portal. And if I could tell you one thing that's not going to happen, it's Pat Baldwin going back to UW-Green Bay, because it's wound up getting canned. If he winds (laughs) up going back to UW-Green Bay, I mean, I have no idea what's going on there. I recognize that he's a guy from the state of Wisconsin, but... If you wanted to go back to the school, what your dad wanted to get a can, that's the upset of all upsets. But I know that he wanted putting his name for the NBA draft, a guy that was so highly touted. Top 10 with regards to all the recruiting rankings. Top five, as a matter of fact, with regards to a lot of them as well. Right. So I, he's got all the talent in the world. He put his name in for the transfer portal just before declaring for the draft. Wanted getting a invite, but. And he heard his talk so much because he shot 26, 27% from three point range in the rise of like, I mean, he looked below average for a rise of Sanders to just put it like it is. And, If he winds up deciding to stay in the NBA draft, he is at such a diminished value. Meanwhile, out there in the transfer portal, you got to think that there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be interested in his services as Duke was trying to get him in last season. And I think that he's just the biggest mystery out there because, I mean, if he does wind up coming back to school, are we going to see the Pat Baldwin Jr. that so many people were raving about two seasons ago, or the guy that just couldn't stay out there on the floor for Milwaukee?
5: Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I, I do tend to believe, and I don't know his individual, you know, headspace right now where where his thinking is. But I do think the majority of you know, a kid that came up like he did, top five in his class, if not top three in his class, five star every year for all of high school and maybe even eighth grade. The psychology is like, all right, I'm going to college basketball for one year. It doesn't matter where I play. And I'm going to the league. That's where he came into Wisconsin Milwaukee with that attitude. You know, you'd have to really see something that can be a very mature kid, I think, um, to make that decision to come back after everything you get told and, you know, all the different handlers that are trying to get your services. He is a unique kid. He's got a, he's got a father, of course, that coached him in college, been a part of a basketball household his whole life. So maybe if there's a person to ever come back in this situation, it would be him. Chances are still strong that he would stay in the draft regardless. Get his pro clock started because he's a 6'11 guy that can shoot from all over the floor. He's basically going for more of a crapshoot if he goes back to college and gets re-recruited at this point in the spring. His percentages are probably better just getting his pro clock started right
2: away certainly a fascinating case because you just don't wind up seeing a lot of situations where you got a guy, Pat Baldwin Jr., winds up going to a little bit of a lower level than you'd expect, and just something that I've noticed as we do have Rocco Miller joining me on the podcast, and it's really unfortunate to say, but a lot of these guys that they wind up being these, I'm not even going to call it top 10 recruits because we just don't see Pat Baldwin's who are in the top five, wind up going to a mid-major like this, but we're going to call it top 150, even top 200 guys that... Typically, they wind up going to a non-power conference, maybe a little bit of a less than traditional school. It just hasn't panned out for a lot of these guys, which I love it when I wind up seeing something like a Pat Baldwin Jr. going to a UW Milwaukee, a McKear Maker going to Howard. It just feels like it hasn't panned out for any of these guys, though.
5: Yeah, we haven't really seen it come fully to fruition. We've seen some lower-ranked guys have monster freshman years, like I think of. Nick Musinski's freshman year at Belmont, you could argue that was his best year out of all four of his years where he carried them and got them in that large bid as a freshman into the first four. You see some of those under-the-radar guys. Jo- I mean, John Morant, let's be honest, his freshman year wasn't like as crazy amazing as his sophomore year, but it was pretty darn good. And if some of these NIL collectives and opportunities were out there when he was a freshman, I don't think there's any chance he would have played for Murray State as a sophomore. Again, that's a three-star kid that fell under the radar below the power five level. Those are the guys you see succeed. I mean, Damian Lillard as well, if you go back even further, as a freshman, was very, very good. Wendell Green, very, very good at Eastern Kentucky. The list goes on, like you said. Of course, when you're going into the power five level, like all the um, four and five stars typically do, it's going to get even tougher and tougher each year, beginning last year, because you think about it with the COVID year and everybody's clock being set an extra year ahead. It's an older game, you know. I think the product is better for the fans and for you know anybody watching the sport. That's a great thing, but I think it's really more difficult for a freshman to come in to a power five school and produce, which makes guys like Paolo Bancaro and others just unbelievable talents. Um, and I just think the guys ranked like fifteen to thirty, there'll be fewer of them that can really produce like they used to.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It certainly has been tough for freshmen to be able to come up and just have big seasons, and it's so much of why. We've been seeing teams like Kentucky bring in a couple more transfers out there in the portal. Duke has been able to do a very solid job in recent years, but when you wind up bringing in guys like Paolo Boncaro, you know what? You don't need to sweat it out as much. And something that I never need to sweat is getting a good interview whenever I bring you on, Rocco, because you do an amazing job over there at Bracketeer.org. You're doing a great job keeping everything straight with regards to scheduling this off season. Fortunately, it's a little bit less stressful than it was two seasons ago. So That helps out quite a bit, and I know that you're doing a great job getting prepared for the season. I know that you're taking a look at all these transfer moves. You're taking a look at what's all going on so that way you're able to form your early season projections and then just be prepared when the season comes along to be able to follow everything that we wind up getting. You do a great job all 12 months out of the year following this. So please let the people at home know how they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you.
5: Yeah, I appreciate that, Greg. So social media, you can follow me on Twitter at RoccoMiller8. My website is Bracketeer.org. And yeah, we are a very niche website focused on scheduling, bracketology, and special college basketball stories that are not otherwise covered very well in general, which is what we really aim for at our website. We're really trying to tell the untold stories where we when we can. So Right now on the site, we have just launched a big 12 schedule page. It's the first of 32 conference pages that will go up throughout the off season. And we're just going in order of Ken Palm power ranking from last season. So you'll see the SEC coming next. And then we're also working on a few special announcements. We're going to be the first group to announce a new MTE coming later this week. So stay tuned for that announcement. That's a multi-team event for those that are unfamiliar preseason event with eight schools. So this is not Known information yet, and we're just working on a lot of fun, cool things like that. We also are spending some time this summer visiting different campuses and spending more time with coaches to really understand. You know, how they're handling all these changes in the sport, really just trying to tell their stories as well.
2: The times are changing. We're seeing that with, hey, guys like Randy Ray, Jay Wright and company lining up, stepping down a little bit more. But it certainly does not take away from the fact that we're going to get a tremendous college basketball season. And we're just getting a tremendous product in general. And I know that Rocco appreciates all that college basketball has offered just so much for the sport does so much with regards to being able to cover it. So it's always great to, to get him on the podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. And now it is that time the podcast coming up next. and give you a little bit of a roundup as to everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Monday.
1: You know, everybody has their own wellness routine, their own approach to a healthy lifestyle. A lot of the most successful ones include herbs like ginger root, ashwagandha, and so many others. Nature's Way has been sourcing herbs like those for over 50 years. They understand that nature is the ultimate problem solver, so they're dedicated to providing plant-powered formulas to help people live healthier lives. Their herbs can support your health in so many ways. For instance, ginger root and slippery elm bark have both been used for centuries all over the world. Ginger root has traditionally been used to soothe occasional digestive upset and slippery elm bark to soothe the GI tract. St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support, which is something we can all use in our modern life. I mean, these herbs come from all over the world, but Nature's Way knows where the best ones grow. They test for potency in their state-of-the-art lab, and their scientists are experts in all things herbs. What's on the label is what's in your bottle, and what's in your bottle are the best herbs around. To learn more, visit naturesway.com.
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You know, everybody has their own wellness routine, their own approach to a healthy lifestyle. A lot of the most successful ones include herbs like ginger root, ashwagandha, and so many others. Nature's Way has been sourcing herbs like those for over 50 years. They understand that nature is the ultimate problem solver, so they're dedicated to providing plant-powered formulas to help people live healthier lives. Their herbs can support your health in so many ways. For instance, ginger root and slippery elm bark have both been used for centuries all over the world. Ginger root has traditionally been used to soothe occasional digestive upset and slippery elm bark to soothe the GI tract. St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support, which is something we can all use in our modern life. I mean, these herbs come from all over the world, but nature's way knows where the best ones grow. They test for potency in their state-of-the-art lab, and their scientists are experts in all things herbs. What's on the label is what's in your bottle, and what's in your bottle are the best herbs around. To learn more, visit naturesway.com.
3: What's up? I'm John Wall.
4: And I'm CJ Toledana, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA six Man of the Year,
2: We're back to the lovely Las Vegas for Coastal with myself, Jay Upspeus, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Rocco Miller on. He does a terrific job over there at his website, Bracketeer.org, and behind the scenes, he does so much with regards to scheduling the great non-conference and multi-team events that we do wind up seeing. He's going to have a big announcement on that within the next few days. He just is a man that loves college basketball, covers it all 12 months out of the year, so a big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we wind up seeing in college basketball on Monday was a little bit of a dry day with regards to transfers, and we do have a couple guys that to make making... NBA draft decisions that I'll be hitting upon in a few minutes, but we did wind up seeing a pair of guys go from the non-D1 level up to the D1 level. Justice Smith, he was really able to dominate at non-D1 Mansfield. He was playing for the Mountaineers with 20 and a half points per contest. Was able to be very solid for the team. Someone who's able to give you a couple steals as well. This is a guy that throughout his career was able to average just under two steals per contest. Not a guy that's going to light it up from three point range. Shot right around 24% from three point range as a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player, but certainly someone that's able to knock down his free throw set 79%, does a good job Be able to pull in their seven rebounds per game. It's going to be an asset for ETSU. I don't think that he's going to be doing much more than being a little bit more of a reserve, but certainly something that ETSU could use is a little bit more depth and should be able to deliver that and Patrick Gardner is going to be going to Maris and Maris has done a good job of being able to bring in some of these off-the-beaten-path transfers as Gardner was playing at St. Michael's last season, and he was playing out there in the state of Vermont with just being the do it all guy for the team. 20 and a half points per contest. 10 rebounds. Not a guy that facilitated too much shot right around 33% from three-point range. It was certainly a situation which a bad shot for him was much better than a good shot for someone else. So he wound up absolutely tearing it up with the Purple Knights. Now, you do want to note that with the Purple Knights, this is very much going to be a step-up in competition because you take a look at the schools that he wound up going up against, like St. Anselm, Stonehill and Coventy, Southern New Hampshire, not necessarily facing off against Monsters of the Midway, but I do think that he's going to be able to go to Maris Is going to be able to be a little bit of set sheet stuff for someone who's an okay three-point shooter for his size and I think that he's going to be able to contribute right away. I do think that Jordan Ivy Curry is going to be able to contribute as well. He was playing at UTSA this last season and he has decided that he is going to be going out West and he's going to be heading to Pacific. Pacific, after they had one of the worst cover rates and we've ever seen in college basketball, they wound up covering fewer than 25% of their games. They've done a good job of being able to re-bolster themselves. They did wind up having Damon Salio Meyer go out of the fold late last season. That caused them to just really be off-kilter in general. But you take a look at Ivy Curry. 14 points, 2.3 assists per contest. It's a little bit of a dip in his three-point shooting from his freshman year. Freshman year, 37.5%. This year, more like 34%. But still, someone who's doing a good job of being able to Put the ball in the basket. Does need to work on facilitation a little bit with Pierre Cockrell, uh, the fool. But I do think that he's going to be able to do a nice job, be able to help facilitate a little bit of offense. I do think that this is a very solid get for them. We wind up seeing Deshaun Allen Icons decide that he is going to be heading away from New Orleans, and he's going to be heading to CSUN, Kelsey Northridge. If you're able to get the Allen Icons that we wind up seeing at North Dakota during the 2019-20 season, this is going to be a big get. He wind up averaging 14 points. Five rebounds per game, shot only about 32% from three, but is a six foot six combo player. He wound up having a rough last two seasons, just riddled with injuries. Only wound up playing a grand total of 19 games last two seasons, and when he was out there, it just wasn't necessary himself. Five and a half points per game, shot only 18% from three point range. But if he's healthy and he's good to go phrase, he's on team that they have dealt with so much. With regards to what we wound up seeing with the Mark Gottfried situation, a lot of guys transferring out of the fold, this is going to be very soft for him, and he should be able to see a lot of playing time immediately over there. With all the additions that Flores had, they are going to need to cut a little bit of weight, and they decide to with Elijah Kennedy leaving the program, and he has decided that he is going to be going to Texas State. Texas State wound up losing Caleb Asbury in the transfer portal, so they needed a little bit of a guard to be able to take his place. And for Kennedy last season, did not wind up seeing a lot of playing time, right around 1.3 points per contest was really an afterthought for Florida. You take a look at AOE's rated by 247 Sports coming into his class of 2021 season. They rated him as the number 165 prospect with regards to that class. So someone that is able to do a solid job there. He's a shooting guard that I think he needs to pick it up a tad bit with regards to his ability to be able to knock down shots. But is a relatively solid passer. I do like the way that he's able to guard multiple positions. A very good plus offender there, and that's big because Texas State, with regards to their tempo, one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. So I think that he should be able to go in there. He should be able to have a lot of success. Abba Lull, he was playing last season at Alabama AM, and m well, he didn't wind up doing too much for the team. Was able to give the team a little bit over two rebounds per contest, but not a guy that was able to contribute at all with regards to the offensive side of things. He is a 7-footer that has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal, so not necessarily a guy of impact. Perhaps there is a program that wants to take a little bit of a fire on someone that's 7 feet tall, but that's about all that I could think of. Fe ODG, he was playing this last season at Troy did a relatively solid job as a bit of a combo player and was really able to remake himself after he wound up having a fast start at UTEP and then wound up flailing off the last few seasons at Troy this last year. 11.5 points, 6.7 rebounds per game. Did turn the ball over a little bit too much, but was able to do a nice job hitting 81% of his free throws at UTEP during his freshman year. He is averaging actually a double-double, 12.7 points to 10 rebounds per contest before things wound up falling off a little bit from there. Native of the state of Texas, he is heading back to SMU, and I do like what this this SMU team has been able to do. They wind up bringing in Rob Villanier as their coach. And you do wind up losing Kendrick Davis. And losing Kendrick Davis, that is very tough to be able to try to recoup. And with regards to what he wound up doing at Georgia State, this last year he played a little bit slower. First couple years, it was a little bit more of a shoot a bunch of threes, play a little bit more up-tempo team. I think that he's probably going to look to do something sort of in the middle with the guys that they he's been able to bring in. Keanu Ambrose Hilton, someone that didn't wind up playing a lot but had a lot of potential at Alabama. Comes in seven-footer, Xavier Foster is able to pop threes. He's in the fold, Samuel Williamson, a long three-carter right as well. So they've got a lot of guys that are able to let it fly from three-point range Obadishi wound up shooting a couple threes while he was at UTEP and also at Troy, but not a guy that's necessarily going to be spacing the floor too much so I think that he's going to be a little bit more of a traditional rim protector probably going to be a little bit more of a mid-tempo team that's going to look to get into your shorts on defense I think that they're going to have some success with it and then we did wind up seeing a couple of NBA draft decisions on Monday as well Jalen Sims decided that he is going to be staying in the NBA draft after last season he was at UNC Wilmington and really was Mr. 2 it all at UNC Wilmington I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get drafted I'm sure that he'll be able to play in the G League slash overseas though because this is a guy that last season wound up putting up 16 and a half Points: five point eight rebounds, two and a half assists, one point two steals per contest. Shot right around thirty six percent from three point range. So he was a do it all, six foot six, a little bit of a combo player. Obviously out there in the CAA was a little bit of a just smaller conference in general, but certainly was able to do a nice job there. And then Max Christie, I saw this coming. He has decided that he's going to be staying in the NBA draft. Just honestly, wasn't that much of an impact guy while he's at Michigan State. Wasn't all freshman performer, but. And at six foot six, nine point three points per game. Shot thirty-two percent from three-point range. You just wound up having Michigan State not necessarily have a guy come to the forefront. Gabe Brown was the only guy that wound up averaging double figures for the team last season. And you take a look to the end of the season that Max Chrissy wound up having. It was far from impressive. Final 16 games, he averaged 8 points per contest while shooting 24% from 3. I thought that he was going to be able to do better at Michigan State this season, but compared to what they wound up having, this isn't too much of a downgrade as he wound up breaking the 11-point plateau once in the last 16 games. So he wound up having a lot of no-show performances. Now, obviously, when it comes to scoring, it doesn't necessarily gauge defense, and he was a relatively solid defender, but, hey, man, for Michigan State, they just need to find that little bit of a go-to guy, in my opinion, and hopefully this is your go-to podcast, because I've got you guys caught up on everything that's happening in college basketball. We are getting a little bit more clarity with regards to transfer portal. Hopefully, by early June, we're going to be starting to crank out my conference previews. I'm going to be doing one for every single conference, taking a deep dive for all of these D1 Teams north of 350 of them. So if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast soups. You're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast? You do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters M maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciating them from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Big thanks. Once again to Rocco Miller, aka the Racketeer, for joining me in the second segment. Hopefully you guys are all doing well. Hopefully you guys are liking what you're hearing from this podcast. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the regular season and the off-season. When it comes to regular season picks and analysis on every single game, every single day when it comes to the off-season news analysis and previews for the upcoming college basketball season, which means I'll catch you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.